Hey, friends. My conversation with Kate was so much fun. We could not possibly keep it to our normal like 27 minute show runtime. There was no good point to stop it. So you get two weeks in a row of my conversation with Kate Bowler. If you haven't listened to part one yet, you might want to head back and listen to that one first so that part two makes sense or listen out of order. You be you. This is part two with my New Year's special conversation with Kate Bowler. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after this first break. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Before we get started, one quick note. While I hope you find a lot of useful information in our time together, this show is not a substitute for skilled support with a licensed mental health provider or for professional supervision related to your work. All right, everybody, welcome back. I'm glad you're still here with Kate Bowler and I talking about New Year's Eve and the change of the Gregorian calendar and resolutions is what we're going to talk about next. So this next listener question is related to something I want to spend a good chunk of time on. The new year and specifically the end of the new year is about setting resolutions. Usually resolutions to become better and better versions of yourself, which honestly, when you think about it, is kind of rude this idea that you need to take some inventory, figure out where you're screwing things up and commit to doing them better. So I could rant on this for a while, but I want to read you something from Kate's book, No Cure for Being Human, from the introduction, as I think Kate talks about this really well here. American culture has popular theories about how to build a perfect life. You can have it all if you just learned how to conquer your limits. There is infinity lurking somewhere at the bottom of your inbox or in the stack of self-help books on the bedside table. It taunts you as you grip the steering wheel in traffic, attempting your new breathing practice, or in the pre-dawn minutes when you could be working out. I've seen these guides to endless progress for sale in airport kiosks. Some are written by spiritual guides promising to reveal God's single plan and purpose for my life. Trust God and the path will reveal itself. Other books call for wild action. 
There are oceans to plumb and mountains to climb and planes to exit midair. Carpe diem. <laughs> Try the four-hour work week to escape the daily grind or check out the latest research on eliminating distraction. There are bucket lists galore with glossy photographs of thrills and architectural wonders, calendars with rituals to eradicate inefficiencies, and writing journals juiced with visionary wisdom from gurus and titans of industry. There are formulas for a meaningful life, how to live one and how to end one. But the truth is somewhere inside me. There is no formula. We live and we are loved and we are gone. And you can hear it in my voice, everybody. That's a rough passage. Aww. It's a beautiful passage. And I think it's really appropriate as we walk into the changing of the calendar, the changing of the year, and talking about this relentless annual need to write down the ways that we're failing. Let's talk about that. Nice emotional intro for you. Handing that right off. <laughs> well, and thank you for like loving me in that. That is just, that means, that means so much to me. Cause when we think about what we could do, like what, how we could stretch and flex and try, like we're also just like overwhelmed with, with a feeling of finitude, with our limits, with our resources, which are our feeling that we're always hoping for something. And it's almost like we can feel the leash kind of pulled back on us over and over and over again. And it's like a category in my head I sort of think about is we're given a story about unlimited agency. Just everything is going to be bigger, better, best life now. And New Year's resolutions are like that in a nutshell, is you're always going to be better. And then you know, we, and we know intuitively we don't want the opposite. We don't want nothing can ever be better. Despair. We're very concerned. <laughs> Americans are always very concerned. They'll immediately slide into despair. But the feeling in the middle is like, how can we come up with some version of like limited agency? The feeling like it is okay to be inside of numbered days, mm -hmm. inside of our fragile bodies, that a friend can read a passage from you and know that like that hope is really hard if it's found at all. So I feel such a struggle every time we get to the new year because I love the feeling of trying, like that open lane feeling, like wind in your sails kind of go, go, go. And then I'm also just aware that this has been a season and a long stretch of a lot of accumulating losses. And so each little hope feels a little extra tender right now. And that's a beautiful lead into our next question, which is really a question about the impossibility of hope. Mm. Yeah. So this question is from a healthcare worker. They just noted that they were a healthcare worker. They didn't say what industry or which kind of healthcare worker. And here's their question. Can you two talk about the weight of yet another year of COVID ahead of us with no end in sight? The grief of giving so much as providers with little progress towards any resolution of the virus the loss of continued moral support or even respect towards healthcare workers from the general public. How do we realistically face what we know is coming and still find hope in a new year ahead? Will next year be better? Will it bring more grief and endless death? How do I find motivation to create goals for myself in a new year when this is what I live? I mean, spoken like someone who knows the cost of trying and then seeing everything treadmill style slide back right to 
to a standstill. It's also such a special quality of the the people that I've met in healthcare who they have a wonderful uh, bravery about them where they, it's like a bright clarity. Like other people can afford to be kind of delusional about what everything costs, like all the tiny little, and it'll be this, like this pace in the ER and it will be this amount of turnover of rooms and it will be this, this holding this person's hand. Like it is, it's just, it's one thing to say, oh, let's talk about optimism. And it's a very different thing to say, let's talk about optimism with someone who genuinely understands the cost and has hit, feels like they have hit every branch on the way down. I was, uh, in the hospital for something recently. And I was just supposed to pass over that in silence, but I, um, I had this wonderful nurse who I just, I got to know overnight because that's, you know, when you live in the ER for a little bit, you really get to know your people. And, uh, and she had just lost her husband. Um, she's in her thirties and she said, uh, I don't know how to describe what it's like for me to be here because, um, being here in a way, everything makes sense. Like I, I like the, the logic of suffering is everywhere and I feel it. And I feel myself of service. Like it was such a gorgeous, it was such a gorgeous, brave, cool, terrible thing to say. And no, and yet I know she needs to go home and make dinner and take care of kids and move the weight of her life forward in, in light of what she knows. And that's what that question reminds me of is like for the person who has borne the greatest cost, how much will a little more hope cost me? And unfortunately, I think hope is very expensive. <laughs> and I would only make one distinction. I would just say it is okay to let go of the exhausting optimism that our culture feeds us. It is really okay to let go. Like there's there's no version of crowding onto the happy side of the spectrum that is that is anything more than a burden to someone like that. Who knows? And yet we are creatures of hope and that we need little beautiful glittering truths in our lives that can pull us forward into a future we can barely look at directly. So part of it for me is just defining what hope means to me. Hope is if it's not blind optimism, what lovely truths are enough to feel like they can carry me into a new year. I love that. It, it brings me back to what we were talking about earlier with the math of suffering, right? And yeah. you know, we're doing a lot of emotional cost benefit analysis here. Yes. Right. Like, what is yes. what does optimism cost me? What does hope cost me? And I also really like how beautifully you framed the dissonance between our cultural belief in optimism and possibility and the right mindset, mm -hmm. and how not just hollow but utterly, completely freaking useless that mindset is when you know the kinds of things that this person this listener knows when you know yeah. what you know, Kate, about how little control we have over good things happening or even bad things mm -hmm. happening, but like the amount yeah. of control or the amount of effect that optimism has for us. And, and I, you mentioned this actually a, a few minutes ago. We don't just have that binary of two options. If you're not being optimistic, you're being pessimistic and therefore you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Right? I think that's sort of our default when we hear somebody struggling, especially with something like what this listener described, which I know is the experience for a lot of healthcare workers right now, the temptation to be like, find some beauty in there, find some optimism, find what moves you forward, all of these things. And, and it sort of skips over the fact that there is an emptiness below being empty. 
Yeah. And that is where a lot of people live. Right. Yeah. It must be strange when the suffering makes sense. Like you're, you're, it's like a certain kind of wisdom, right. And you're, you're in your job and you're like, wow, all this suffering really makes sense. I know how to live here like this. Yeah. And I also (laughs) need to have a feeling of small agency, the dignity of being able to make choices and then see them come to fruition. The like that grace of a little bit of like existential rest that we all need. It's such a unique, I don't know, existential weight to that, uh, to that kind of, to this very hope expensive uh, profession is to know then if we know that a certain version of optimism can be poison. We know that. (laughs) (laughs) And we also need to know that like some things are, um, I don't know. I always think of it kind of like, like graces, like they're just little the things that are so good, they kind of just create a little boost in us. Like the feeling of being really like the particularity of us seen and loved, yeah. you know, like the, the like long glass of wine for me and like a friend where someone, where I get to the end of a thought and then I get to have another one, like the luxury of that, like those little graces feel to me like they, they're the, they're the kind of things that fuel hope in me. They let me feel like things could change. Mm. And we all need deep down to feel like even in the midst of so much stuckness, that things really can change even just a little. Right. That we have some agency and that this, there's a stopping point or a rest stop, maybe not a stopping point. I also really like that, that application there of these things, these tiny snippets of hope or beauty or rest or connection, they aren't cures for this having a really good tea date with an awesome friend who gets you is not going to fix the situation for healthcare workers, right? So we're not yep. talking about applied hope as a solution. We're yes. talking about companions. Like where, where is there another channel? Yeah. Otherwise we'd have another formula because if there was a formula, we would have one. Exactly. <laughs> but since there isn't. Yeah. Well, we do have, we do have math. Like we have, we have the toxic math, right? Which says, think the right thoughts, focus on the positive, dream your best life, believe it to live it, all of these things, and then things will work out for the best. Like, And if they don't work out the way that you dreamed for, then something even bigger and better is happening. Like that is the math that we inherit and that we swim in to mix some yes. weird metaphors here. But, but that's toxic math, right? That's not real math. Yeah. I love this discussion, which is strange for me to say about a discussion about math, but I love this idea of the math of human suffering. And so hold that thought, Kate, we got to take an ad break. We will be right back. Stay tuned, friends. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. 
Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash iHeart. That's lifelock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. New Year's resolutions will just hand you one. They'll be like, congratulations. If you were 20 pounds lighter, people, you'd never be alone. You don't ever have to suffer from the, like the fear of, uh, if you finally spend more quality time with your family, even though all you've been doing is with your family in lockdown. I mean, there's just like a whole, uh, there's a whole cluster of like tiny exhausting formulas that tell you, you know, better you is around the corner. And I, I totally love that you were like, tea is not going to, not going to solve like, you know, job inequality, like, like lack of, lack of uh, like hours that, that afford us dignity and rest. I I do love figuring out what, what counts as those, like the, the feeling, which is just so unique to us as little creatures of like the things that make us feel like we are unclenching our fists. And for me, it is not solo kayaking. I tried solo kayaking last week. I FaceTimed someone in the middle of the lake. Solo kayaking. I heard you. I heard you say solar clacking. And I was like, oh, this is some new weird thing that you've picked up. Solo <laughs> kayaking. All right. I like solar clacking. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was. I was like, I'm going to be one with nature. I'm going to go out in a kayak. Turns out I don't want to be alone with nature. <laughs> I want to be with a friend doing something else. Good to know. I, I love where you're sort of, I, where I hear you going with this. And I want to make sure we have time for a couple of other questions and we can let you release back into your wild with friends here. But I hear you going to how things make you feel and paying exquisite attention to that as a way yeah. of looking for those small moments to lay down alongside whatever else is going on in the world. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It, it doesn't have to be that. I mean, it's sometimes it's just socks and someone else brushing your hair if you're in the hospital. I love knowing that it's not sort of, you know, wizardry. Sometimes it's small, concrete delights that, yeah. that make a day. Yeah. This actually sets us up really nicely for my little riff on, on New Year's resolutions. I really like this idea instead of coming up with resolutions that are concrete this is actually a, a great link back to what you were just saying so beautifully about hope, right? I have a really hard time with the word hope because the way that we use it is like hope in a specific outcome. I hope that my scans are clean. I hope that I make it home before rush hour. Like we're hoping for a specific outcome and things don't always work like that. That's a, yeah. a shadow agency that we do not have. Yeah. I really like hope in how I stay by myself, hope in how I feel hope in how I take care of myself in whatever is ahead. 
that's a kind of hope that feels functional to me instead mm-hmm. of transactional. I like oh, a functional nice. hope rather than a transactional hope. And if we bring this back to New Year's resolutions, I talk about this a little bit in one of my books. Uh, Martha Beck talks about it in her book, Finding Your North Star. Danielle Laporte uh, has spoken about this before. But as a new year, end of new year, or any kind of transition time, but since we're talking about resolutions, instead of looking at concrete, we'll lose 10 pounds, we'll gain 50, like whatever. Instead, looking at yeah. like, how do I want to feel in this coming year? Mm-hmm. How do I want to feel as I live through the things that I need to live through? And, yeah. you know, I have some thoughts on that, but I, I think that this is such a deeply personal thing for people. And that practice of asking yourself the question, knowing what I know, knowing what I cannot change and what doesn't honestly feel very hopeful to me looking ahead, how do I want to feel meeting this life in this new year? Mm-hmm. I think that that opens up more possibility for actual resolutions that mean something. And you don't need to be going through crisis to have you know, to, to greet the close of the year in that way. I just, I think it's a really kind and humane and supportive way to look at resolutions that doesn't tell you that you're failing somehow and you have to do things different. It's, <laughs> it's really more of like, can you get deeper into listening to yourself and mm-hmm. start ordering your days and your moments in the small ways that you have power and control to help yourself feel the way that you want to feel, which is very mm-hmm. different than looking for a specific outcome that we don't have a lot of control over. Yes, that's right. Yeah. The hyper-instrumentalism of our culture. Hmm. Yep. Yeah. So we are winding up our time together. I want to let you get back into the math of your life, but I have two questions for you, and I would love to hear your responses for these. So <laughs> what do you wish your doctors or your providers would have told you about grief anytime during this whole saga of the last several years for you? I don't think they ever used the word grief. I, I, one time, uh, a PA said, the sooner I get used to dying, the better, which honestly was probably one of the worst things anyone's ever said to me, but I don't think ever, anyone ever said, uh, grief or even that there would be a, a process that I'd be going through because it was, I was in that sort of short scan loop where everything just, it was sort of like living in the eternal present. I think that's something I learned by getting to know palliative care doctors and understanding that the word palliative gave us a, like a bigger language for learning to work within the limits of our bodies and our hopes. And so I, yeah, I think I would have loved it if they just said, well, there's going to be versions of, of, of someone you, you might not be able to be anymore. And um, let's figure out what a, what a beautiful version of your life looks like now. Just mm-hmm. anything to mark the transition, I think would have been a gift to me. Yeah, just to name it, going back to the, what we had talked about earlier about acknowledgement and the yeah. the opposite of acknowledgement is invisibility. Yes. So being able Beautiful. to name what is actually happening yeah. in the room. Cool. Yes, I that's love right. That, and I hope that too. And last question, you are an educator, you are a teacher, you are a writer, all of these things. What do you want other educators to know about grief, either in this moment or in general? What do you want other mm. educators to know. I'm thankful that in this version, I, so I teach at a divinity school. So I mean, half the students go into academic curves, but the others are the pastors or chaplains that sit with those who are really suffering. And so in that version, especially watching what they've done in the pandemic, they really did teach me about the, um, the courage of presence, how scared we are when our words fail, how much we, we wish we could always be that person who says and says and does the right things, but that the, 
the gift of, of, of so often like ministry or caring professions of any kind is the, is the, it's truly in the courage of showing up and being willing to feel a little embarrassed of not always knowing and figuring out together. Half the stories they tell me are of doing something unbelievably dumb. And then, and then the, the joy of becoming better. And, uh, I think learning to love the intense awkwardness of other people's bodies is such an education, but holy crap, we only learn it by when, when we show up. I love that. And that's a beautiful end note for our time here together, embracing the awkward, right? Which is exactly <laughs> what we do here. We only get that life that we want where we feel seen and heard and companioned and also feel like we have some skill in seeing and hearing, comparing other people Yeah, if we embrace being awkward. So thanks yes. for being awkward with me all the time, friend. Oh, my dear. Thank you for having me. It is so fun to be off script with you. Woo. The best <laughs> stuff happens off script. <laughs> all right, everybody. Thank you so much. Kate, let everybody know where they can find you, whatever else you want people to know. Oh, sure. I have a podcast called Everything Happens, which is very medium sad and uh, wherever podcasts are found and, uh, and they can find me online at Kate C. Bowler and um, where I, I sometimes bless the crap out of people, but mostly just muse on the, on, on the cultural scripts of life today. So I'd love to see people there. Yeah. Make sure you follow her on Instagram, everybody. We will have all of the ways that you can find Kate and the titles of all of her books in the show notes. Stay tuned after the break for things you can do to start practicing this whole showing up for pain thing we always talk about and learn how you can submit your questions for me to answer next week. Don't miss that part, friends. Be right back. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cash back on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Each week, I leave you with some questions to carry with you until we meet again. It's part of that whole, this awkward stuff gets a lot easier with more practice. So I want you to practice. This week, New Year's resolutions that actually mean something to you as you face the years ahead. Kate and I talked about that idea that you can make a resolution of how you want to feel in the year going forward rather than things that you want to see happen, right? Let's think about feelings-based resolutions instead of transaction vending machine resolutions. 
So for your, I don't really want to call it homework, even though we talked about math in this episode, but your assignment for this end of year season, start working on some how I want to feel resolutions. How do you want to feel in the days and weeks and months ahead? Those feelings-based resolutions are a lot more helpful, a lot less shame-based, and a lot more supportive than a transactional resolution. And a transactional resolution is things like, I will lose 15 pounds and then I will be happy, or I will overhaul the healthcare system and make sure that everybody gets paid leave. That's a whole other subject. So this week, New Year's resolutions that actually mean something. I don't even think you need a whole lot of direction for this week's questions to carry with you because we talked about it in the episode. I really would love you to play around with this idea of a feelings-based resolution for yourself for this New Year's time rather than a transactional do this so that I get better type thing. Really lean into how do you want to feel in the days and weeks and months ahead. Try that out, friends. Let me know how it goes. If you want to share your New Year's resolutions with us or let us know how it felt to approach resolutions by feeling instead of by fact, give us a call. Leave a message on our call line with your field report. You can also let us know what struck you from this episode with Kate Bowler or anything else you want us to know. Want to submit your question for me to possibly address on the air? This show is nothing without your questions. It is literally a Q&A show. You can ask me anything you'd like. Bring me your clinical questions, your frustrations about work, the things that scare you. That one thing that you always run into and you really wish you had a script for it? Let's talk it out. Call us at 323-643-3768 and leave a voicemail. If you missed that number, don't worry. You can find the number in the show notes or you can visit megandevine.co. If you'd rather send an email with your question, you can do that too right on the website megandevine.co. We want to hear from you. This show and this world needs your questions. Together, we can make things better, even when we can't make them right. You know how most people are going to scan through the show description here and think, I do not want to talk about all that pain stuff? Well, here's where you come in. Your reviews let people know it really isn't all that bad in here. We talk about heavy stuff, but it's in the service of making things better for everyone. So everyone should listen. Spread the word in your workplace, in your social world, on social media, and click through to leave a review. Subscribe to the show, download episodes, and send in your questions. Want more hereafter? Grief education doesn't just belong to end-of-life issues. Life is full of losses, from everyday disappointments to events that clearly divide life into before and after. Learning how to talk about all that without cliches or platitudes or simplistic think-positive workplace posters That's an important skill for everyone. Find trainings, workshops, books, and resources for every human trying to make their way in the world after something goes horribly wrong at megandevine.co. Hereafter with Megan Devine is written and produced by me, Megan Devine. Executive producer is Amy Brown. Co-produced by Kimberly Cowan, Tanya Yuhas, and Elizabeth Fazio. Edited by Houston Tilly. Studio support by Chris Uren. And music provided by Wavecrush. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually 
in person and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.